Well, last Sunday, we read the first of many battles that are recorded in uh, the book of 1 Samuel. At this time in Israel's history, uh, their main enemy, of course, was the Philistines. The, the Philistines had been a thorn in Israel's side uh, throughout most of their early history, uh, battling first against Shamgar uh, and then Samson. Later on, they'd fight against uh, Saul and King David. But at this time, there was no, no judge, no king uh, to lead Israel into battle against uh, the Philistines. Uh, Samuel, of course, was, was widely recognized as the prophet of God at this time, but he wasn't quite yet uh, Israel's judge. That would happen shortly. But at this time, Israel was led primarily by their elders, by the, the older, you know, supposedly wiser uh, leaders of the different clans and tribes of Israel. But these particular elders didn't seem to be very in tune with God. Uh, as we've noted over the past few weeks, uh, the nation of Israel as a whole had, had kind of drifted away from following God. Their relationship with God had, had become, you know, really just a religion instead of a relationship. Uh, even though they were God's specifically chosen people, God had chosen them uh, out of all the nations of the world to, to be his holy nation. They would be his people and he would be their God. He even promised to dwell among them. Uh, we saw last week how the Ark of the Covenant would identify God's presence with his people. Um, and, and it was from the Ark that God would meet with his people and would, would talk with them from above the cover of the Ark. But as we've noted, the people of Israel weren't all that interested in listening to what God had to say at this point. They chose to ignore God's commands. Uh, they just, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, they had no interest in serving and pleasing God. They just kind of kept him around because of what they knew God could do for them. And last week's battle with the Philistines was kind of a prime example of that. After being defeated in, in the first battle against the Philistines, the elders of Israel decided to go get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh, uh, from the tabernacle, and carry it into battle with them. Uh, we read in 1 Samuel 4, verse 3, it says, Then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. And I think it's very telling that they say, it will save us from our enemies. Not God will save us from our enemies, but, but it, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, would save us from our enemies. You know, their faith was in a gold box rather than in the God who spoke to them from the gold box. Uh, they had been disobedient to God uh, for years now and, and really had no interest in changing their ways, but yet they thought they could, they could harness and manipulate the power of God by trotting out the Ark of the Covenant and carrying it into battle with them. But one of the main themes that comes out of the book of Samuel, and, and we've seen this several times already, is that God will honor those who honor him, but he will despise those who think lightly of him. And we certainly see this playing out in this story. Uh, so the Israelites carry the Ark of God uh, with them into battle, hoping to manipulate the power of God in their favor. But God does not honor those who refuse to honor him, and the Israelites are soundly defeated. Uh, 30,000 men are killed, and the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. And so that kind of leads us into our passage today. As I mentioned last week, 1 Samuel, it doesn't really revolve around Samuel. It doesn't even revolve around the Israelites. It revolves around God because this is his story. Um, and so the camera kind of pans away from the defeated camp of the Israelites. And it follows the Ark of the Covenant as the, the Philistines victoriously parade it back to uh, their nearby town of Ashdod. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, after the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. 
They carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. Now, before we read any further, I'll just point out a couple things. Uh, first of all, Dagon was the name of the Philistines' main god. You might recall that it was actually the, Phil, uh, the, the temple of Dagon that, uh, got to think of it, Samson pulled down. Uh, he was in the, the temple in Gaza, and he pulled down the temple, uh, killing both himself and about 3,000 Philistines. That was the, the temple of Dagon. But it was this god, Dagon, that the Philistines believed had defeated the god of the Israelites. See, in, in their, their way of thinking, you know, uh, battles weren't won and, and lost simply by, you know, human armies. Battles were won and lost by the gods of those armies. And so it wasn't just about the strength of the army, it was about the strength of the God. And so that's why last week when we saw that the Ark of the Covenant, when it came into the, the camp of the Israelites, that's why they were shouting with joy, and that's why the, the Philistines had a panic attack, because they knew how strong the God of the Israelites was. Uh, they were remembering back to the time of Egypt. Uh, it says uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 4, 7, it says, the gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We've never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If we don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. You know, the, the, the Philistines knew from history just how powerful the God of the Israelites was, uh, was. He had totally defeated and destroyed the Egyptians many years earlier. But now, because they had defeated the Israelites in battle, the Philistines concluded that their God, Dagon, was even more powerful than the God of the Israelites. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, into the temple of Dagon, and they set it before this idol, this statue of Dagon, and this would kind of symbolize in their mind how the God of Israel had been conquered and was now subject to Dagon. This would be kind of like bringing in, you know, the, the captured king uh, in chains, uh, defeated, and, and bringing him before the conquering king sitting upon his throne. That, that's kind of the idea here. And that's why what happened next is so shocking. In verse 3 it says, But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. All right. Can you imagine just the, the shock and the disbelief on their faces when they go in and they see that their mighty God, Dagon, had fallen on his face before the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, it, how could that possibly be? It just didn't compute in their minds. You know, it must have been you know, an earthquake or something that shook and fell down or whatever. So they, they quickly pick up their fallen God and they put him back in his place again which is really pretty ironic when you think about it. You know, it seems kind of ridiculous that the mighty God Dagon can't even pick his face off of the ground. But I think that's kind of the point that God was trying to make here. God was illustrating both to the Philistines and to the Israelites and, and us who would read about this later, just how ridiculous it is to trust in idols. You know, I'm reminded of what Jeremiah writes uh, in Jeremiah 10:3 says, they cut down a tree, and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver, and then fasten it securely with hammer and nail so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak, and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods, for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. And then he jumped down a few verses to 14. These idols have no breath or power. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. But the God of Israel is no idol. 
He is the creator of everything that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. And I know that in our, our civilized Western culture, you know, we don't tend to worship statues or carved images or what have you. But I think this is still a pretty important reminder for us. The God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God that we worship and serve today is no idol. He's not a, a, not a fairy tale. He's not a myth. He's not a delusion. He is the creator of everything that exists, including you and I. You know, he is the author of life. He is the, the almighty sovereign God of the universe. And he is just as real and just as powerful today as he was back then. You know, we kind of laugh at the foolishness of these ancient cultures as they bow down and worship these, these different idols. But, you know, if we deny the reality of God and his sovereignty overall, then we are just as foolish as they are. The God of Israel is no idol. He is uh, just as real and powerful today as he was back then. Now, of course, the, the Philistines had not yet figured this out. And when they saw their God, Dagon, laying face down in the dirt before the, the ark, they quickly pick him up and they put him back in their place again. Uh, but then we read in verse 4, But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on his threshold. Since the Philistines didn't seem to get the message the first time, God decided to make things a little bit clearer for them. Not only had Dagon fallen on his face once again, but this time his head and his hands had broken off. Uh, the, the message was unmistakable. Now, even though the, the Philistines had defeated the Israelites and the Ark of God had been captured by the Philistines, by no means had the God of the Israelites been defeated by this God, Dagon. Uh, the, the headless, handless Dagon was powerless before God, as were the Philistines, as they were about to find out. As we read on in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the ark of the God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? The rulers discussed it and replied, Move it to the town of Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with the plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. So they sent the ark of the God to the town of Akron. But when the people of Akron saw it coming, they cried out, They are bringing the ark of the God of Israel here to kill us too. The people summoned the Philistine rulers again and begged them, Please send the ark of the God of Israel back to its own country, or it will kill us all. For the deadly plague from God had already begun, and with great fear was sweeping across the town. Those who didn't die were afflicted with tumors, and the cry from the town rose to heaven. The Philistines quickly came to realize that the God of Israel was far more powerful than anything they'd ever known before. You know, as their, their idol of Dagon kept falling on its face before the Lord, and as this plague followed the ark wherever it went from town to town, uh, wherever the ark got sent to, the Philistines feared that soon they and their God Dagon would be completely destroyed by the God of Israel. But I find it really interesting here that even though God had clearly demonstrated his great power over Dagon and even over nature as though those plagues followed the ark wherever it went, still 
the Philistines wanted to get rid of the ark rather than worshiping and putting their faith in the God of the Israelites. They would rather have their, their weak and broken God, Dagon, who was apparently a little easier to, to control and manipulate than this God of the Israelites, who was clearly more powerful, but would not be controlled or manipulated. They would rather believe a lie so that they could continue living however they wanted instead of accepting the truth and changing their beliefs and their actions. And I guess that's probably true for a lot of people today. Now, everyone wants a God that they can control and manipulate. Uh, they want a God that will do what they want, a God that will serve them and allow them to live however they want. So when the God of the Bible doesn't seem to be that kind of a God, well, then regardless of the evidence, they would rather continue believing a lie and living however they want instead of accepting the truth and submitting to the sovereign God of heaven. They would rather deny God's existence or his authority or, or send them away to the next town so they don't have to deal with God's holiness and their own sinfulness. But you know, we can only live in denial for so long. The Bible reminds us in Romans 14.10, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You know, it's only a matter of time until every person on earth will have to acknowledge the truth. You know, we can deny him now if we wish. We can, we can serve whatever God we choose. We can serve Dagon or, or Baal or, or money or pleasure or whatever God we want. But in the end, we will have to stand before the one true God and acknowledge him as God. And each of us will have to give an account for how we've lived our lives here on earth. And so I would certainly encourage you today not to wait until that day to acknowledge God as your Lord. Acknowledge him today and live your life in submission and obedience to him. As for the Philistines, they had no interest in submitting to this God of the Israelites. Their only thought was just to get rid of the ark. And so as we move into chapter 6, we read this. The ark of the Lord remained in Philistine territory seven months in all. Then the Philistines called in their priests and diviners and asked them, what should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country. Send the ark of the God of Israel back with a gift, they were told. Send a, gift, a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then, if you are healed, you will know that it was his hand that caused the plague. What sort of guilt offering should we send, they asked. And they were told, since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, make five gold tumors and five gold rats, just like those that have ravaged your land. Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, your gods, and your land. Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. By the time God was finished with them, they were eager to let Israel go. Now, build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure that the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart and place it beside, or, and beside it, place a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors you are sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know that it is the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know that it was not his hand that caused the plague. It simply came by chance. 
All right, so the Philistines determined they're gonna send the Ark of the Lord back to the Israelites. And again, we see that the Philistines knew their history. They knew how God had destroyed the Egyptians when they refused to listen to God and refused to let the Israelites go. And so they remind the Israelite rulers, don't be stubborn and rebellious like Pharaoh was. But instead, they should send the ark back to Israel with a guilt offering to show honor to the God of Israelites. And so that's what they do. But now just to make sure that God really was the cause of all their troubles, it wasn't just some great coincidence that they experienced all these plagues, they devise a test. They would take two calves that had just, or two cows that had just given birth, and they would uh, shut those calves away in a pen. Uh, these two cows had never pulled the cart before, and so once they got them all hooked up to the cart and whatnot, they would just let the cows go wherever they wanted. Now, by nature, uh, these two cows that had never pulled a cart before, you know, they would resist the yoke, uh, and they would not likely pull that cart together very well. They'd probably be pulling against each other rather than working together. And, and furthermore, the maternal instinct of these cows would lead them to go find their babies, right? Not go on the way to Israel. And so if God wanted these, these cows to take the ark back to the Israelites, well, he, he would have to intervene somehow and make these cows go where they wouldn't naturally go. And that's just what God did. Verse 10, so these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and the gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road to Beth, towards Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The ark came into the field of a man named Joshua, and it stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart and placed them on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all this and then returned to Ekron the same day. The five gold tumors sent by the Philistines as a guilt offering to the Lord were gifts from the rulers of Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The five gold rats represented the five Philistine towns and their surrounding villages, which were controlled by the five rulers. The large rock at Beth Shemesh, where they set the Ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what happened there. And I think that's as far as we'll read for today. Uh, there is a little bit more to the story, but we're going to talk about that next week. But to wrap it up for today, I just can't help but think about how the Philistines had clearly seen the hand of God at work, but yet they continued to worship their, their weak and broken God, Dagon, instead of the almighty God of the universe. You know, not only had they seen what happened to the idol of Dagon falling on its face in the temple, but they also saw the plagues as it followed the ark from town to town. And on top of that, they saw these cows, you know, defying the laws of nature, pulling the cart of the, with the ark of God away from their calves and straight into the nearby Israelite town of Beth Shemus without veering off in any other direction. You know, there's just no way that all of this could have been a coincidence. It had to have been the hand of God. But yet the Philistines still refused to worship and serve the God of the Israelites. You know, and I think people do the same thing today. Even though they, they know about God and they can see his hand at work in the world around them or even in their own lives, still they harden their hearts and they refuse to submit to God. Even though God's presence and his power are obvious, 
They would rather cling to their, to their weak and broken gods, whatever those gods may be, gods that have failed them time and time before, um, instead of clinging to the true God, the God of heaven that loves them more than they can even imagine. And, and so I just ask you to, to contemplate that this morning. You know, is that you? Is God been at work in your life, making his presence and his power glaringly obvious to you? No, perhaps his hand has been heavy upon you to get your attention, afflicting you maybe in some way to help you take notice. Maybe he's arranging circumstances in your life in unusual ways to show you that he's doing something in your life, trying to get your attention. And if that's you, then how are you going to respond to God? When you see all that God is doing around you, you know, will you, like the Philistines, harden your hearts and refuse to submit to him? Will you continue to worship your, your broken, your weak and broken gods? Or will you turn to the God of the Israelites, the one true God, and worship and serve only him? Hebrews 3.12 warns us, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And so I would just encourage you today not to harden your heart against the living God. Turn to him. Pay attention to what he's trying to say to you. Listen to when he's trying to get your attention. And then worship, obey, and serve the one true God. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed into our week. Dear God, we thank you so much for this story uh, recorded for us in these pages of, of real events that happened long ago. And we see, we almost laugh at the foolishness of these Philistines as they, they worship this God Dagon, even though it's fallen on its face on the ground. They ignore all your signs and your, the, the wondrous things that you're doing, clearly showing your power and your, your reality in their lives. But God, we so quickly do the very same thing. We're so quick to, to chase after a million other gods, a thousand other distractions. We serve and we worship those things rather than clinging to you as the one true God. God, may this serve as this reminder, as Hebrews uh, reminds us, uh, not to harden our hearts, not to let sin get in the way uh, of our worship of you. So I pray that we would be encouraged and spurred on today that if there are some gods in our lives that we have allowed to, to upend you, to take your place, that we would quickly correct that. We would pay attention uh, maybe to your heavy hand upon our lives, that we would take note that you're doing something and you want our attention. So I pray that we would pay attention and listen to what you have to say to us, that we would respond positively and that we would choose to worship and serve only you. So God, thanks again for this great reminder. Remind us continually of these things as we so quickly forget throughout this week and, and throughout our lives. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray for all these things. Amen.